0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Pastor Steve Andrews. Today we conclude the book of Proverbs with the 31st chapter. The words of King Lemuel, an oracle that his mother taught him. What are you doing, my son? What are you doing, son of my womb? What are you doing, son of my vows? Do not give your strength to women, your ways to those who destroy kings, It is not for kings, O Lemuel, it is not for kings to drink wine, or for rulers to take strong drink, lest they drink and forget what has been decreed, and pervert the rights of all the afflicted. Give strong drink to the one who is perishing, and wine to those in bitter distress. Let them drink and forget their poverty, and remember their misery no more. Open your mouth for the mute, for the rights of all who are destitute. Open your mouth, judge righteously, defend the rights of the poor and needy. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant, She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. With the fruit of her hands, she plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed. Her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh is to be praised. Give her of the fruit of her hands, and let her works praise her in the gates. This is the word of the Lord. Now, historically, I can tell you that this text about the excellent wife can be taken in one of two ways. Uh, So, go ahead and ask your kids on this one, then, who they think the excellent wife is. And again, Much of history, many Christians, have considered this to simply be a proverb about what an excellent wife looks like. And then there are others who take this picture, and they go beyond that. And they go to Christ and his bride, the church. Or some even to saying that Christ is uh, the, the one being described here. Again, Proverbs has seen Jesus as wisdom wisdom is Jesus. And so to now put Jesus into this excellent wife section, in some ways you can see how it works. He was not idle, he did not care for himself, but sought to care for others, and so forth. For the purpose of our conversation today, I'm going to look at it primarily as a proverb about a mother's advice to her son in looking for a wife. As her son is set to be king, he's looking for a queen to rule over together with him the creation that God has given to them, that he has entrusted into their care. So, as we begin, it starts with King Lemuel, and the question immediately is, well, who is this man? He's the third author for us in the book, as Solomon is accredited the first 29 chapters, and then we had Agur yesterday for chapter 30, now Lemuel. The name itself is Hebrew for dedicated to God. There is no King Lemuel in the history of God's people. Not by the, like that as an actual name. Is it possible that there was a King Lemuel in another nation? I suppose so. But typically this is viewed as being a reference to either King Hezekiah or King Josiah, two of the better kings that the nation of Judah had. You can read Second. Kings chapter eighteen, Second Kings chapter 23, good spots to look to pick up on those two men. So likely one of them, Hezekiah or Josiah, and then this is the teaching offered to that man by his mother as he's growing up, an oracle that his mother taught him. So repetition to teach, most likely, that he still remembers now that he's grown up what he has been taught. It starts out with some questions almost like she's talking and correcting uh, the wayward behavior of her son what are you doing my son do not give your strength to women to strong drink those are the the arguments here and we've seen this in the book uh, the idea of not going after adultery has been common in the in the book of proverbs up to this point in fact the, your ways do not give your ways to those who destroy kings the adulteress has been described as misleading men so that they die in a pit, uh, sheol, and that's been three times: chapter five, verse five; chapter seven, verse twenty-seven; and chapter nine, verse eighteen. So, not much new in this. Open the idea here, simply being: don't give your strength to women. So, don't don't waste your energy, your time, your effort that should be used to care for others, chasing after women, essentially, their ways destroy kings, destroy kingdoms. Then avoid strong drink instead, verse 5, so that you don't forget what has been decreed and pervert the rights of the afflicted. You have to be sober to rule faithfully in order to care for the creation that God has entrusted into your care. If you are drunken, you'll forget your own loss. If you're drunken, you will not care for the poor. You'll be too busy caring for yourself. These are not good things now. The advice does go that you can give strong drink to the ones who are either perishing, so they're dying, or they're in great distress of some kind, some kind of misery or poverty. We would argue as Christians from the New Testament that that's still not something you really want to do. Her point, the mother's point, as she teaches this to her son, is that at least momentarily it helps them forget. Forget the pain, forget the misery, whatever it is that they've been enduring. But it would be better by far to, for them to have thrown themselves into the mercy of Christ. If you're in poverty, pray. Not necessarily for abundance of blessings to shower down upon you, but trust yourself to the Lord that he will provide, that he will care for you, that you are his, even if it doesn't manage to work out in this life the way you want it to. You are still his. So, uh, picking up on that, then open your mouth for. Do these things. Care for those who can't speak for themselves. Care for the rights of... Those who are in terrible situations. Judge righteously. Defend the poor. Defend the needy. Care for your neighbor. Do what a king is supposed to do. Care for your people that God has entrusted into your care. This is where it then shifts to the excellent wife, the woman who fears Yahweh. This is actually a Hebrew acrostic poem. That is to say, that each verse begins with a different letter moving its way through the Hebrew alphabet. Their alphabet's different than ours, but it would be like having a 26-verse poem that you write, starting with the letter A on the first line, B on the second, C on the third, all the way through. Hebrew has 22 letters, and so this is 22 verses for this poem. An excellent wife is more precious than jewels. Now, this particular excellent wife is basically producing jewels, her value, her benefit to the household financially is probably just as comparable, if not better, anyway. But that's not the main point. Numerous times throughout the book, we have had discussions about how it would be better, for example, to sit in the corner of a, of a rooftop as your house than to live in a nicer home with a quarreling wife. Repeatedly, those things have been coming up. Here's the opposite. It was all a foreshadowing of this better thing uh, to have not a quarrelsome wife, but a God-fearing wife. And the aim of this entire section is going to be the idea that the wife is not in it for herself, but that she cares for her family and she cares for her community. This is the created function of that God gave to her back in Genesis chapters 1 and 2. This is what she was made for. So what man and woman were made for in various ways. They were both together made to procreate, to have children together. They were made to care for this creation. The husband is the head, the wife is the helper. And so here is a picture of a wife who is extremely diligent in helping her husband. He trusts in her, and she cares for the community around her. All right, so looking at a few of these examples here, just kind of quickly moving through this, he will have no lack of gain because she is of financial benefit to the home here, but also, again, better than that too. She is of benefit to him in all of the ways he's supposed to serve. She does him good, not harm. It's an easy one, right? Uh, A good wife, does not seek to harm her husband. She seeks wool and flax working with her hands, so she's going to use wool and flax to make garments, clothing, uh, other sorts of things. And you get that again down in verse 19, the distaff and the spindle. You can look up YouTube videos pretty easily on this to see what it looks like, but basically they take uh, the spindle, in one hand while they have the distaff in the other, also kind of supported by the weight of their body. So the distaff is on usually the left shoulder is what I've seen, and it's like a big stick, but it's wrapped with wool around it from a a sheep or a lamb that's been sheared. And then there's a a thread that's already been worked a little bit coming off of that and beginning to wrap around that little spindle that they then use with the other hand. And they work this process to continue to move wool. And as they do, the spindle weighted is going to continue to spin. And it's going to spin that, that wool into a, a thread. And so this, again, pointing to the diligence of her, her work. She brings food from afar. She rises while it's yet night to provide food for her house and her maidens. So even the servants that she has. Um, but she wakes up early in the morning to care for them. That's actually true in much of the ancient world, that the wife would wake up and one of her first tasks would be to make the food for the family for the day. Dresses herself not with beauty or gold or costly attire, but with strength. This is uh, part of the tragedy of just the way we live life as a culture today. Most of us have desk jobs where we sit all day and it's taken a toll on our health. Um, those who farm, those who do physical labor, their body is just much more fit and, and strong. They can do things that many of us can't otherwise unless we actually take the time to exercise outside of our normal work. Here, she is preparing for work, and the work that she does, it has produced that strength over time. She sells her her works, they're profitable. She doesn't put out her lamp at night, that is, she works tirelessly. She is generous, verse 20, handing to those who are in need, open-handed to the poor. She's not afraid of snow because her house is well-dressed. So well-dressed, in fact, um, expensive garments listed here, scarlet purple or rare dyes that were imported from afar, uh, verse 14, and fine linen. Her husband is known in the gates. Here's a question. Does this mean he's just sitting around doing nothing? There's a question for your kids. The answer to that is no. The gate of the city was the place where important business, the the politics of the city were, were handled. The elders of the city would meet there, the leading men of the community, to discuss how to care for that community. So, her husband is free to be able to do that because he knows, he trusts, back in verse 11, that everything is going to be okay when he makes it home. Our culture is a bit less like this today, as both spouses usually leave the house for work in American society. But American society was like this for a couple generations, where the husband would leave home, he would go off to work for the day, he would come home, his wife had been caring for the home and the children. And that's an example of seeing this over time just kind of played out. Not to say that's the perfect way for it to be done, but an example. She makes linen garments, sells them, so more of that work. She's clothed, again, mirroring uh, the, the verse earlier, verse 17. She's clothed not with beauty and well, she is clothed with expensive things, but she's clothed with strength and dignity. She laughs at the time to come. That is, she's not worried about tomorrow. But instead, she thinks of tomorrow and she thinks of joy. She opens her mouth and out comes wisdom. That's then the guidance of this whole book, right? not a, Not foolishness, but wisdom, which is Christ. So here's a woman speaking of Jesus. The teaching of kindness is on her tongue looks to the ways of her household, does not eat the bread of idleness, so she's not lazy but cares for her family. Her children bless her. Her husband praises her uh, for surpassing all other women. Charm is deceitful, beauty is vain, but a woman who fears Yahweh is to be praised. There's your key to all of it. A God-fearing wife. Men, this is what you should be wanting. Yes, the world covets beauty, but it disappears your wife's faith will not disappear. If you nourish and care for her as a faithful husband, um, taking her to church, doing family devotions with her, strengthen and encourage her in her faith as she also seeks to help you in yours. Now, again, great marriage advice here, young men. This is what you're looking for. Don't focus on outward stuff. Look to a woman who has... Again, faith in Christ and wants to serve her neighbor. This is what she's been created for, and this is also what you've been created for to be true. Um, Look for that. Give God thanks for that. Now, if we take this to be the church, then this is a call for the church to serve the Lord with gladness all of our days. And you can go back and you can read your way through all of this text again, looking at this as the Bride of Christ The biggest struggle, seeing it as the bride of Christ, is verse 29. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. That Jesus would praise unfaithful those who haven't been his wife. That doesn't seem accurate and fitting. At this point, you would be talking about the proverb more as like a parable, so you don't want to do one-for-one analogies on everything in that, but God has so richly cared for his people, he has clothed us. Jesus is sitting enthroned in paradise. So we think of verse 23, her husband known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. He's able to do what he does, and he works also through us. He entrusts us with the care of his creation, not in it for ourselves, but our created function to care for one another. And again, the other way that's pretty common to look at this is to see this as, uh, again, a reference to Christ himself, who is the only one who truly has done the good work, the good work of opening his hand to the poor, reaching out his hand to the needy, as he gave us his very own life. No greater love has one than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. I would encourage you to, to read that text through a couple of times. Think of those, those different ways of, of looking at it. But know that this is the Lord's word. It is his gift to you. And so we give thanks.